Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It is episode 23, and we are talking about all things Game of Thrones. I am here with my wonderful co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. How's it going, H.A. Conrad? And we have a special guest for today's episode, um, John G., who is a colleague and friend of Ali, and now a friend of mine, and also a super-duper nerd, which is how we like it. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks very much. Proud to be here. Nice. So this is the most long-awaited episode, I think most requested episode of Nerd Hour. We're going to be talking Game of Thrones in the crossover today. It's going to be a very fantasy epic duel. What are we talking about today, Conrad? Today we are pitting Game of Thrones against Lord of the Rings and trying to figure out which is the better epic fantasy and adaptation of those fantasies. Oh man, it's going to be it's going to be so cool. Um, and we're going to be counting down our top 5 fantasy stories today. Um, it's a genre a little bit out of my element, but I can't wait to see all the cool stuff we're going to share. Cool. All right, so we have a lot to talk about today, but the first thing I would like to mention is that there will be many, many spoilers. If you've not watched the finale of Game of Thrones, we can't guarantee that it will remain spoiler-free. We're going to cover a lot of ground, so I would just, as a, as a word of caution, if you haven't seen the season finale... Please turn off the podcast, walk away from your iPhone, <laughs> and go and watch the finale first. Do not get angry at us for, for spoiling. And we're talking about the season four finale of HBO's Game of Thrones. We're also probably talking about the books, but nothing beyond A Storm of Swords, I think. We're going to be talking um, everything up to what happens in the finale, season four of HBO's. Mm, I, I may be talking about more than that, Ollie. All right, well, let's <laughs> so, do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, not not necessarily in detail, but I think we have to, to cover a couple of these things. We'll be dilly-dallying. Yeah, we'd right. be dilly-dallying a little bit. I might so. be tempted to speak more, so one of you um, give me a jab underneath the table to keep me honest. No, no, you're allowed to speak. Okay. I'm saying it. <laughs> I am saying it. Make it so. <laughs> Make it so. So let's let's get started, you guys. Um, uh, you know, I would love to hear from from you guys how you got introduced to uh, George R. R. Martin's epic fantasy world. John, why don't we get started with you as a guest? How how did this come to be for you? You know, it was. I, w- I think I would hand it to Lord of the Rings. It really, is kind of my gateway uh, into the world of George R. R. Martin. Um, I mean, I was always kind of a closeted um, uh, lover of history and fantasy and uh, medievalism. Even um, I think, kind of looking back, I I think it was. And I can actually say this now because it didn't come true. I think every birthday for about from like age six until maybe. Uh, longer than I'm willing to admit. Uh, I wished for a lightsaber. And I, and I think, <laughs> who I think, didn't? Who didn't? Right? And then, and you know, I can yeah, I can say that out loud because it's not going to happen now, I guess. But um, but I think that's that really has like there's the intersection right now, there. Yeah. Medieval, medievalism, fantasy, history, and um, and then just loved Lord of the Rings so much that um that I just um I I was hungry for more. Star Wars does have that wonderful influence of sort of the the samurai look, the sort of the, the medievalism, the the fantasy ideas meeting a science fiction type setting. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was really um, a little a little bit of Lord of the Rings, a little bit of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. and I was yeah, I've talked on the show before about how I wasn't a big fantasy fan growing up, and um, those two series really made me understand the value of fantasy and how fantasy can really have these big ideas of good versus evil. 
But I still avoided watching Game of Thrones for a season or two. But then everyone kept talking about this show. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll watch the show. Uh, and I was hooked. I was hooked after a few episodes. Yeah. So I, I actually was intro to this. I've been a long time fantasy, epic fantasy novel fan. Um, I was introduced to this, I think, um, to this particular genre. Um I want to say when I was six or seven. Um, wow. So I can, and I don't want to give away too many things because it'll, it'll, it'll mess up my top five. So, <laughs> um, but for, for this particular set and story, I had several friends of mine who kept recommending the books because this was before the show had been made or even was talked about being made. So you're talking about the mid nineties? Uh, no, later Late than 90s. that, probably like early 2000, 2001-ish or so. No, no, it had to be later than that. No. Um, Because it was close enough that there there was enough of these books to to keep me wanting more. And so I was like, okay, I'll I'll read this. And I just tore through them. And as you know, I can... As you tore through, tear through every book. (laughs) Not every book, but this one kept my interest enough that this was one of the ones that I would stay up all night uh, to read it. And Bill would be like, you finished that already? And (laughs) yes, yes. So... um, so I was really into that and super psyched when I heard that HBO was doing a series and really couldn't wait to see what they were going to do with it. And so, um, but you know, there's always, there's always pitfalls having read this, the books ahead of a series. So, which I have not done. I'm going to just out myself right now. I haven't read any of the books. Conrad, you have, you've read all of them. John, what about you? I've, I'm, I've almost completed the series. I'm, I'm, I'm actually actively done barring it right now. You have to done bar from catch 22. I'm actually slowing it down as, as much as possible. I'm only allowed one chapter per subway ride. (laughs) Um, because I want this to last as long as possible. Yeah. Um, so I'm, 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 I have just a few chapters left in uh, a dance with Dragons. Nice. So I'm gonna be working hard not to spoil anything again. You can spoil it. It's okay. We mm-hmm. said we gave the alert. We gave the alert. <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting how this show got made. The producers picked up the books, similar to you, Conrad. They got hooked. Kind of talked to HBO. HBO's like, yeah, this sounds like an interesting idea. But my favorite part about this origin story of the TV show is when the producers sat down with George R. R. Martin. <laughs> I know. You guys know the story. Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. Well, no. they sat down and they were having a lunch that kind of turned into this dinner. They're drinking a lot of rum. And it all came down to one question. George R.R. R. Martin asked the producers, who is Jon Snow's mother? And they gave their answer. And he said, that's a pretty good answer. You got it. Yeah. All, where do I sign? That's what they say. They say well, it all hinged on that moment. Yeah. Um, them being able to answer that question to his satisfaction. Well, and also, you know, like so George R. R. Martin has a really interesting history um, because he actually was a writer for a lot of different shows on TV and was ultimately frustrated with that world because he felt like they kept cutting out the most interesting parts. So he has, he's, he has this background in this, this history where he really doesn't generally like what TV does to yeah. his story. So he was a writer for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, Amongst many other things, the 1980s, yeah, yeah, the, the 1980s, um, the yeah. Twilight Zone, the relaunch of that. Um, I think he did a little bit of uh, the Outer Limits. He did, he did, wow. um, and so that's part of why he was like, "Well, I want people to know the background of these characters. I want them to know the backstory. I want to give as much detail as possible. So whatever, I'm going to go sit in my little George R. R. Martin corner and my, with my little <laughs> beard, and I'm going to write." 
as much as I want, and nobody can stop me. Um, and, well, and he writes in this DOS word processor yeah, on this like 25 year old machine still to this day while he plays Pong on the yeah, other, I'm, on the sure. yeah. I'm sure so it's like he's got a very interesting process and an interesting way of looking at things so I was I was a little bit surprised um, that he agreed to let them touch this during that lunch he turns to them and says you guys realize I wrote this book series to be unfilmable right yeah, yeah. so <laughs> this is my reaction against what's on TV. So it obviously took off, right? This has become the most popular show on HBO. It's the most pirated TV show on the internet. One question, fellow nerdlings, what makes this show and the book so popular? I mean, honestly, I think it's what makes any epic fantasy popular. Um, there is a lot of drama, there, and it is gritty. I honestly, although people get very upset, I think that nobody is safe in this world, and people like that. They like, um, I, I think people who had not read the books, I was definitely not surprised by the finale of season one, um, which, spoiler, spoiler, everybody, um, Eddard Stark dies he gets beheaded and even when you were reading the books or even when i was reading the books i kept thinking <clears throat> at the last moment somebody's going to step in at the last moment somebody they're not going to behead this character because even in the books he's a larger than life character he very much feels like the main persona that they're following um he it feels like what where is this story going to go without him um and it happens, and it's shocking. And when I read it, I actually put the book down and paused and then went back and reread that it actually happened, um, which is what I understand pe people did with the show as well. Like, they didn't actually believe that they were going to kill off this character. Um, and I think that that's that element of surprise. Um, I think also HBO and, and the books have an enormous amount of sex, which, of course, people like. Um and I think that there is, it is such an amazing cast of characters, and their interpretations of these characters are incredible and gritty and really take no prisoners. Um, this is definitely not a fluffy story or a I, fantasy genre. Absolutely not. I had the same experience as you, H.A. Um, when Eddard Stark was beheaded, I, and then for weeks and months and maybe to this day I really mourned the loss of, of Ned like like a friend uh, it was completely unexpected I was shocked, horrified and, and I think kind of really traumatized I don't think uh, that's too strong a word and completely agree, I think, I think this the character development, the, the R-rated uh, complex character development for me is what really makes Game of Thrones uh, it's, it's wide ranging um, th these characters um, and, and their relationships and the dynamics between them but also in a way that keeps it intimate and personal somehow mm -hmm. um, it's just it's absolutely amazing so it's about relationships it's about uh, these characters and kind of what motivates them what drives them um, and power of course I think you see all of those things uh, epitomized with uh, Tyrion Oh, yeah. And uh, Tyrion is a character where there is a lot of R-rated character development, but it's it's very complex. And at first, you see him as a part of the Lannisters, who um, really, in the beginning of the of the show, and I can only talk from the perspective of the show since I haven't read the books, but um, seems to be, this. these are our villains. The Lannisters are evil. And then as you begin to understand Tyrion and how he has been vilified and isn't seen as being human, and, you know, John, you and I, 
know about the psychology of this. You want to justify a lot of inhumane things. You don't see people as human. And this is what kind of propaganda does and all of that. Um, but we see how this person has been treated by his family. And that was a moment where I got hooked as we started to learn more about Tyrion. And because every episode any characters up for grabs every the, there's a weight and a heaviness uh, to every episode you're on the edge of your seat because you have no idea when something's going to happen whether it's um uh, stark being killed off whether it is the red wedding right right, <laughs> right. yet or, a, yet another example people yeah. couldn't believe that they would do that oh. and after ned stark i'm like oh no he's going to do what yeah. he's going to do what the he's going to do the had enough the, the yeah no the way nobody's safe nobody's safe on. and then you know there's there's also an issue which I know has come up a lot, and it's the treatment of women and the treatment of people that are, are viewed as other. The Peter Dinklage character um, in the books, there's these these savage characters that basically fall in with Tyrion, and I think part of why he takes up with them and agrees to, like, they're mercenaries. Um, and it's just this... Um, the viewpoint of of the public against what you're seeing the reality is for that character, um, I think, is is really compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, in terms of, of the female character, seeing how they have to negotiate this very male driven world, and so your powerful women like Cersei and um, Arya and um, even Catelyn Stark are are all forced to make these decisions and sacrifices and this definitely informs what their decisions are for going about in the world and surviving um sansa stark too and they all take different and and it's it's an interesting thing i know that there are things that trouble me about the show and we'll get into we're gonna and get we're gonna into get that. into that yeah. but i also think that this is part of what makes it an interesting story for people because they want to see how these stories end up for these people and uh, you know i think it's a bit of a slow burn too oh, it absolutely this is, is not a story that is resolved in a season of television or in one uh, one book this is something where you you realize you're in it for the long haul and as you uh, as you start watching the show you think oh, this, this family's got it, this clan has it, and then all of that is stripped away. And then this other family, there's a rise in this other family. And, you know, it's true to its name, Game of Thrones. Um, it is a very, very long game, and we have no idea where it's going to go and how it's going to end. Um, have you, you know, speaking of Peter Dinklage, uh, have you guys seen his um, um, his summary of Game of Thrones in 45 seconds? Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, but he's like, oh, you know, sex, 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 stabby, stabby, stabby. This <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he's really become, I think, in many ways... Um, just not only a, a hero of this show, but um, as an actor, he, um, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's, there's something about him that he has become such a popular figure, and he's so open with the fans. I was at San Diego Comic-Con last year, and he was sitting um, on the outside area of a restaurant right by the main street, and just kind of saying hi to people. He was he was eating there with his friend, and just kind of saying hi to people as, walk by, as they walk by. He's well, such a cool guy. He's he's really great. I loved him in The Station Agent. If you haven't seen yeah. it, you should watch it right now. It's an incredible film. Um, he was in um, Death and the Funeral, both renditions, both the U.S. and the and the uh, U.K. version. 
Um, he was an elf. I think he was incredible in that. And one of the things I've been very happy to... I love that movie, to, Conrad. Yes. I love Elf so much. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think is really... I, I'm glad to see that he is getting um, the credit for being such an incredible actor. Yeah. I think he has brought everything to this character. And, yeah. you know, if you noticed, he wasn't headlining the first season... But after the first season, he's like... I think he's got top billing he's in the top credits. top billing yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and he it's totally to his credit. <laughs> he's an, an amazing actor. And, you know, I also know... Because he was in um, The Chronicles of Narnia, mm. I believe, uh, Prince Caspian as Trumpkin. And he had to wear an enormous amount of makeup and horrible things. And it was very uncomfortable. And it was like basically the traditional idea of what elves and little people and dwarves are. Mm. And when they approached him about this series, he's like, I'll do it. But if it's like you're, if it's like this character, I just can't go through like a season of, of wearing pointed shoes and, and all this other stuff. Yeah. And they're like, Oh no, you haven't read the books. And he was like, uh, they were like, this is not that kind of, of character. <laughs> and then I think he realized he read some of the script and realized what Tyrion was and yeah. was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally do that. And it's been incredible to watch the evolution of the character on the show. Speaking of top billing on the credits, can we just talk about the credits for a moment? <laughs> yes, they're amazing. I really love these credits. The the from the the beautiful theme to the beautiful imagery and how it's actually um, instructive, and it it always kind of helps me understand like, oh, where is everyone, and how does this all relate to each other? Um, but the, the credits have taken a life of their own. John, you showed me this like goats singing the Game of Thrones theme song and cats. Cat. Oh, that's right. There's a whole and, YouTube um, oh cache. It's, it's taking over like cat videos. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's um, on the season one um, DVDs and season two, um, you have the Stark children. They're singing along. In the first season, they sing along to the theme song, and then there's one of them beatboxing to the theme song. The, the theme song has really become so beloved, and um, it's just. Um, it's it's entered the public consciousness. What I don't understand why it's stuck in my head right but, now. Right? Yeah, I'm me playing, too. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's so good. It's it so is, good. It is really good. And what's funny about that is they brought on the composer um, very late in the game. They had a um, original composer who we don't know who that is, but the current composer uh, Ramin uh, Dajwadi, he was brought on just a few months before the show actually premiered. So that theme was done very last minute and. And it works. It really works. And in the um, it's in the season four finale when they did the um, the remix of that was um, with a I think with a boys choir almost and slowed it down as yeah. Arya is getting onto the boat. Um, it's just beautiful. The way they play on it, it's it, it is such a lovely theme. Um, so, and you know, speaking of why this is so popular, um, Obama even tweeted out a photo of him sitting on on the Iron Throne on the official Twitter account. People invest so much time in creating their own maps of this. It's clearly sparked a very very strong fandom. But the fandom sometimes has a very complex relationship with George R R Martin. It's um, 
I mean, Conrad, I think you you've talked about this a little bit um, in off off air. How much people want the book series to be completed, and how they they react strongly when George R. R. Martin's like, "Well, I'm doing these other projects. I'm doing this other stuff." There's a lot of nerd outrage. There about is this. a lot of nerd outrage, and uh, I can't because this is a PG podcast. I can't <laughs> tell you the title of this particular blog post, but Neil Gaiman <laughs> wrote a very interesting blog post that said. George R. R. Martin is not your blank. Um, and <laughs> he, I don't know if that's allowed or not. That's why I'm just not saying it. And he writes a very interesting um, essay about the fact that, hey, you know, ultimately, yes, you are writing this for an audience, but you're also, as a, as a creative person, you are writing these things for yourself. And I actually think that part of the issue is, is that, for example, when Token or Lewis, um, or any of these authors that wrote some of the epic fantasies that we know and love, they were basically able to write these over a series of years, take their time, you know, publish as they saw fit. Um, there wasn't this this pressure because everything is so so fast now. Um, so yeah, George R. R. has has taken some time and is doing other things, but I think that for a creative person to have this much um, pressure to finish something, I mean, there, there's no way you're not going to have writer's block. Um, there's no way that you can create these things and create them well, especially with the intricate detail that he writes um, and the backstories and the things you have to make that they're sure there's no conflict um, within the storyline. There's no way that you're going to be able to do that instantaneously. Um, and I think you saw some of the problems with that with um, Suzanne Collins, the... Um, uh, Katniss Everdeen character in in the Hunger Games series. Um, I think you see it a lot in other in other book series. And I mean, I think I think one of the things, especially if you're a fantasy um, fan, that people are worried about is that you know, what if George R. R. dies? Like, what if he dies before the story's finished? They want to see that story finished, um, and that did happen with Robert Jordan in the Wheel of Time series. And there was this huge thing, like, because he knew he was dying. He wrote notes to let somebody else carry on. And Brandon Sanderson, who was a fan of his, also an author who is an excellent fantasy author, by the way, um, he basically took over and finished off the series for Robert Jordan. And I think think he finished it as well as could be expected, but there were still, obviously, fans were like, but it isn't the same. It's not Robert Jordan. Um, Though some people would argue that he actually did a better job than than Robert Jordan had done in the last few books. But something like that happened with Lord of the Rings where someone, the Cimmerarian or something like that, like this was based on a bunch of notes. Uh, yeah, no, right. so that, but that wasn't the main, I mean, I think it's a little different when it's, you know, Lord, Lord of the Rings has such, like, it's huge. I mean, I mean, and I think that certainly there were different things that you could add to it and things but, like that. But, but so that it wasn't, series was completed by Tolkien. Yeah, but this was yeah, a yeah. this was a different work in that right, world. Right. Yeah. So it's, um, a, so it's a little different. Um, so I think that there is this innate fear by the fans that we're not going to know how it ends. And because it is such a slow burn. People are still trying to predict how it ends. And some people think that they know. And we're going to get into that, I think, in the crossover a little bit. But, um, you know, you want to know what the author thinks. You want he's the authority. He is the God of this universe. Right. Right. So, of course, you want to know what God's going to say. No, poor guy. I mean, people are probably heckling him on the way to the grocery store. Oh, they are. Is this really an efficient, a good use of your time? Shouldn't you be home right now? And, you know, this is um, nerd outrage um, is 
so easy on the internet when you don't have to look someone in the in the eye if you don't you don't have to have eye contact it makes it, the internet can make it really easy for people to say stupid things and george r r, r. martin has uh, a live journal blog yeah. I, I love it so that it's a live journal um he's probably the last person using yeah, live journal but he wrote he wrote an article about how hard it is on him to keep getting this keep right. hearing these messages to keep being told that no, you exactly what you were saying, John. Don't go to grocery store. Don't do these other side projects. Finish your books. Um, I, I can understand. I can really appreciate that. Like why he wants to do his own thing. Well, and also I, you know, the, I have a couple of other fantasy epic series that I've been reading that have a similar problem. They have like the first couple of books done, and the. The authors are just taking their time in putting out the other series. And I desperately want to know how these series end. Um, um, one of these is the Arclight series, which coincidentally is written by Brandon Sanderson <laughs> with the Wheel of Time series. Um, and there's another one by Patrick Rothfuss, and it's called The Kingkiller Chronicle. And apparently he has had such stress... Um, related to this kind of fan pressure that he kind of took himself out of the spotlight for a little while and just had such a fans had such a negative reaction to the fact that he hasn't finished the third book it's only a three book series um when you when you look at that compared to jk rowling it's actually quite amazing that she was able to complete the harry potter series in the way that she did in such a short amount of time that she did i think that's probably the rarity it is and and you know it's interesting because it's like we love these authors so much we love the stories that we want to tell so or that they want to tell we want to we want to read them and we're desperate to read them but how does that translate to being negative and kind of I think evil and bullying to them in in real life. I don't know, and not being sympathetic to the fact that it is a, it is an enormous undertaking to write these stories, and it's a bit of themselves. Like this is not it's not easy. Yeah. If it was, all of us would be writing our own epic fantasy series. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and so to me, it's I get very upset at the nerd rage because I feel like it dehumanizes <laughs> the authors and the creators of these projects that we love so much. Yeah. Um, I wrote an so, article about this in response to the anger and outrage um, when Ben Affleck was cast as Batman. And it's we see this with that. We saw that with the DC New Fifty Two. We've seen it when and anytime someone is really invested in something and they feel like the franchise or the series um, is going in the wrong direction, there's a lot of anger that's produced. And anger plus the internet minus eye contact leads to a lot of bad things. Speaking of anger and fandom, can I ask you guys as two people who have um, read the books or are nearing completion of the books in John's case? What do you guys think when you meet someone like me who watches a show, loves the show, but it's not going to read the books? Because I, I feel like there's a lot of... Um, I've experienced a lot of this when I tell people that I only watched Ghostbusters a few weeks ago. There's a lot of immediate anger. And, and, you deserved all that anger, Ollie. Oh, my gosh. I, I, have, I am still hearing about that now, weeks, weeks later. But... Uh, 
I, I feel Proton like... packs, Ali. <laughs> Proton. Why are those things called Conrad? Proton um, packs. I, there's a. I, I've, I feel like there's a little bit of smugness. Um, like there's a little bit of a hierarchy in in like my geek cred is is challenged and tarnished. And I mean, what do you guys think when you run into people who haven't read the books? I'm pretty forgiving of you. I'm, I'm only a step above you because I am. Um, as I was um, telling you guys a little bit earlier, um, I actually began my gateway was was through HBO. Um, I watched, um, you know, seeing the previews for this, I was just thinking, oh, I don't know. There are no lightsabers. I'm not sure this is, you know, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure this is going to be my thing. And then I, and then first episode, going back to, to Conrad's point, completely hooked. This is clearly a different kind of show. I mean, it seemed like it was going to be like a show about Bran. And then at the end of the very first episode, Bran is, you know, is is crippled. Yeah, um, and so 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 I watched the first season and um and didn't open a single book. I didn't read a single page, uh, and then went back and uh, and then started to read in this very measured fashion, reading as I was watching. And I, it's a it's a strange system, but I, I found that way that was a way I could um, um, protect my love of the show. Um, through going back and reading them, the books as kind of a, a very different experience. So, so interesting. So you read them in parallel. Yep, in parallel. Yep. Wow. Well, sort of. That was the plan. I began by watching, <laughs> watching the first season. Spoiler. And, I know, watching the first season and reading the book as kind of like a companion, like yeah. a compendium to watching uh, the first season. Yeah. And then loving both. Um, but then, of course, I just um, I could not delay gratification, and then and then I became completely unbridled and uh, and just read voraciously and couldn't stop. Um, So you're forgiving of my kind. Very forgiving. I I think there's room for both kinds of fans. I do think that there is a value to reading the books because I think you get a lot more background and depth into some of the characters that they can only really kind of scrape the surface of in, in the show. But I also think you you almost have to treat them as two different things. Um, I think you would really enjoy the books. So that's my only thing is that I think as a super nerdy Person, I think that you would enjoy a super fantastic, nerdy yes, person, a super Conrad. fantastic nerdy person. Come on, I think that so that's I'm not I don't get upset that people don't read the books. Um, that growl was courtesy of Oliver, <laughs> um, the visiting dog today. He, he really super, wants me to read the books. He's he, that happy apparently, he wants you to read the books, so he's growling at you. Um, but I, you know, I don't get upset and I don't have that nerd rage. And, you know, I do find when watching the show that, that Bill is often asking me the background of certain characters and he gets a little frustrated because I do think that it's such a massive cast of characters and it's sometimes hard to keep people straight in your head that I do think that the books help a little bit with that. Yeah, and, and that's but, actually, my partner, New Anne, is a bigger fan of Game of Thrones than I am. And she really wants to read the books for that reason. Yeah. Because there's so much complexity in the politics and the characters and the family. And a lot of that, you can't bring all that attention to detail in, into the TV show. Right. Um, but again, I do, I do in some ways think that you have to treat them as different entities because there's decisions that you have to make in telling the story um, which happens with any adaptation. There are decisions that you have to make in what you do with characters. You have to cut some characters because you can't include them all on screen. Um, And you have to maybe change or combine some characters and storylines to try to get to keep that story arc going. Um, 
So I, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't be, and actually, you know, the Ghostbusters thing, I wasn't angry that you hadn't watched it. I was more just like, <laughs> you would, you would really love this. Why haven't you watched this? So, yeah. so generally if you hear judgment from me, it's more, I can't believe you haven't watched this because you would love it so very much. Well, not, so- not, not because I'm thinking, oh, that doesn't make you a real nerd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think is some of, I do think you get that kind of nerd rage from some people. Well, so let's, so some of the differences in how the show is told in books versus TV has led to some controversies. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to lay out some of these controversies and I, I think we, we should dive into this. So a lot of the patriarchy in the show, which is a, a common problem, a lot of fantasy genre, the major objectification of women. Yes, there's a lot of nudity. It often is, is women. It's often gratuitous. Um, there have been now multiple rape scenes. Um, um, scenes that can be interpreted as rape that I, that I think are pretty clearly rape that haven't been identified or called out as rape in the context of the show. And I think there can be some pretty big um, ramifications of that. And there's the, the racism, whether it's um, the, the lack of diversity of characters, which I think they're improving on a little bit. But there's also um, the way Daenerys's character has been portrayed in the show as this white woman who is saving and bringing civilization civility to all of these dark-skinned savages. Oh, but is she? But is she? So let's let's dive into this. And, and I wouldn't say that that's that far off from the books. Well, so. so let's let's talk about that. We've got we've got uh, the violence. We've got the nudity. We've got the the treatment of women. We've got rape. We also have um, some of the the racial issues. Where are you guys on all this stuff? Well, I mean, I think that the, some of the issues that you're outlining in the show are also problems within the books. Although my take on, at least with the Daenerys character, is that she goes in, but she's kind of making a mess of it. Like, she thinks she's going to go in. I mean, she's a teenager. She's going in, and she's trying to, to quote-unquote, free the slaves. And she makes an absolute mess of it. Like, people are, because once you free them... There's no social structure. Like, you can't just say, hey, by the way, go go walk out and make a living, you know? Um, it's, it's a difficult subject matter. Um, I think it was deliberately raised in the book. Um, I think they're making her a little bit more commanding in the show than she is in the book in terms of this. And um, eventually things happen. I don't want to spoil it for you, Ollie, but I, I'm just going to say <laughs> that... It's much more disorganized within the, the context of the book than it is on the show, and how they're portraying her on the show makes her seem like she's a little bit more in charge than I think it appears in the books. Would you agree, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's true. And this whole idea of um of I actually read part of an interview with uh, with Amanda Peet, who um, I hadn't realized is is married to, to is it is David Benioff, um, I, I think, and she was talking about um about how um. So her husband checked with her partner and checked with her how you feel how do you feel about um, the objectification of women how women are treated in Game of Thrones uh, and she was you know her take on it was you know as long as women are are driving the plot um, then you know then the true life part of it um, doesn't bother her as much you know because George is writing uh, was writing this series as you know as this this is this is medieval times and um, bad things happen uh, in medieval times so you're gonna get the get the violence you're gonna get the um, the if, if you know you're gonna get the power plays you're gonna get all of that you know, rape all the ugliness and one of, this goes back to the first point of why what makes Game of Thrones so popular no one is safe 
and we're seeing um, complicated characters who have very ugly sides. Um, and so, so that, that, that is actually, um, I buy that piece of it. That part has stayed with me, this idea of, um, of as long as um, the characters are driving the plot, then it feels less gratuitous. Yeah, you're bringing up uh, the idea of agency and uh, the importance of making sure that all characters, regardless of their gender, their their race, their ethnicity, have some type of interesting independent agency, and they're not they don't just exist for for the purpose of advancing some other male character or something like that. And I think you're right about that. Um, that is an important element to to the show, and this speaks to the the R-rated character development. Development that you were both talking about earlier in the show. I think my, you know, I, I think about a show like Game of Thrones and I compare it against a show like Battlestar Galactica, which did objectify um, women and men, and it seemed to do it much more equally. There's this very famous uh, scene with Apollo, the main character, coming out of a shower with barely holding a towel above his crotch, and um, you know, I think that's if we just did a statistical count of the amount of male nudity versus female nudity, there's clearly much more in the female camp. And this is one of the things with fantasy is I think folks always often say, well, fantasy is sort of inspired by this medievalism and all of that. Um, but it doesn't have to be. This is there's no there are no such things as dragons. <laughs> we we spoiler alert, they don't exist. Um, so this is a complete work of imagination. So we don't necessarily need to stick to the way gender and sex was portrayed in medieval times. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Connie. Uh, Well, what I was also going to say is that one of the interesting things that I wish that they would do, and maybe they're going to do this a little later on, they also have some very strong female characters within the books that they have chosen not to yet reveal, or they haven't yet shown where they're going with this. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of Arya Stark in the next Oh my gosh, season. I love her so much. She's such a cool character. And that storyline shows a very different path for a woman within the show. Um, you know, you, they, we did see uh, Oberyn Martell um, and his discussion about how his culture treats people differently. And we haven't seen a ton about... about um, um, about them in in terms of the long term part of the show yet, um, but you know there, there's definitely different parts of this that I think will evolve. Um, I do think that some of the ways that they have shown sex and the use of women in this show are to get ratings. Definitely, like there's definitely scenes where people walk in and there's just a bunch of prostitutes hanging out naked. Yeah, and yeah. that does happen in the books, but they definitely it happens a lot in the show. The show, the show, it wouldn't be HBO, show, be HBO if you didn't have these scenes. But I get so I get that. Um, you know, the rape scenes that you're talking about. Um, I think there was one in particular that definitely troubled me tremendously. Well, and um, the reason why this this troubles as, as me yeah. is more yeah. because of how they turned it into a consensual. Well, it was the rape myth. That's right. exactly what it was. Right, it was, and it was acted out, and it was really. I mean, <laughs> let's put aside the fact that it's a brother and a sister, and we're, we're <laughs> there's, there's that. We're, yeah. we're of course talking and about a little the, bit of incest, which is similar to Star Wars. Right, you know, it is a. a Proud tradition in the fantasy genre. Um, And Luke and Leia ever sealed the deal? No, they never sealed. Not like that. No, No. not like that. And and I mean, of course, we're talking about the Jamie and Cersei 
rape scene that happened this season, which was which was much discussed, and this is something that that I do find problematic. Like you were saying, John, it, it is the rape myth. We've seen this on Mad Men and and Game of Thrones and a few other big big shows. And my issue with this is if if there is a scene depicted of rape and it's not called out as rape in some way, there there are some people out there watching this and thinking that that's okay. You know, when you don't call attention to rape and call it what it is, it uh, promotes this myth. And I think that's that's a very dangerous precedent to fall, in, fall into. There's a lot of controversy about this, so much so that George R. R. Martin even reacted to it and talking about how the scene is portrayed in the book and it's from the point of view of Jamie Lannister and how he felt like it was done differently and he wasn't involved in that scene and all of that um, but oh gosh you guys it's um yeah it's 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 something that made me feel very uncomfortable oh it made me uncomfortable watching it too but you know yeah. i i think this is definitely more on the fault of hbo than on right. george r. r martin yeah cuz yeah he makes he has a relationship and it's there's definitely moments that are pretty disturbing uh specifically with regard to um our our favorite uh, sadist, <laughs> um, the Bruce Bolton's bastard. Oh my um, gosh! Right. But you know, and that those scenes are all like completely disturbing to me within the books as well as, and they have shown things on the show that it's I think like are a just character. he's super creepy. I I kind of think he is honestly the way they've been portraying him on the show. I think he's totally gratuitous and just a way of showing pure evil. And I'm not quite sure where they're going with him on that. So that's another piece of the show that's bothered me a lot. Um, but overall, I mean, I think that the adaptation and where they're going with the storyline has been interesting and compelling. I will, of course, be watching next season with bells on. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of hoping that some of these characters that I have alluded to may be making appearance. Um, the the Viper Warriors, who are awesome in the books, have not made any appearance. Um, and they are to me, some of the strongest female characters. Oh, the Sand Snakes, right? Yes, the Sand Snakes. Um, and um, that's... And I think if they show a little bit more of that, you're also going to get more diversity within the show on a lot of levels and just show that this isn't just how people are, are treated. Yeah. You know, maybe w- this is how women are treated in Westeros, but this is not how right. they're treated elsewhere. I wonder, too, if they're going to bring um, back the Queen of Thorns a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, she featured prominently, of course, uh, uh, in the books for, for, for a while and then and then had her moment in the sun in the series, but then has kind of faded out. Faded yeah. out. It was interesting. And we also do, I mean, we have seen other things. Like, we have seen other cultures, like um, the wildlings. Um, we, you know, Ygritte is a very good example of how other cultures are dealing with women. They're basically hanging out with the men. They're warriors. They're, they're very strong-minded. They do their own thing. Um, although she also has her moments in the book where she's, she's told to do certain things that she doesn't want to. But I think that the show has taken... It's hard because it's a huge cast of characters. It's a huge number of stories that they're trying to tell. Well, and I don't and, and think you, this, I don't think you can tell them all. And I think this season they've done a better job of bringing in a bit more diversity. We saw that with uh, was it the Viper? Um, and and I think that's the name, right? Okay. And you mean Oberyn? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yep. And yeah, we also Red Viper, yeah. you know. And while I've got really mixed feelings about the way Danny's story is, is is told on the show, it is exposing us to other cultures and other places in Westeros. But you know, I'll tell you one thing: I really do think that is done well on the show is some of the psychology I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's been a little bit of research on how power can 
um, influence someone when they are put in a position of power. And there seems to be a pretty close relationship with as you feel powerful, it's a little bit harder to have empathy for for other people. And I think this completely plays out in Game of Thrones, um, especially with the Lannisters and, and all of that. The other thing that's really funny, um, I just saw this the other day. There's an article about Hordor. And how he's a great example of expressive aphasia. Yeah, Hodor, <laughs> what, Hodor, Hodor. Yeah. His autobiography is coming out. Uh, oh, it's. Yeah, I think it's called Hordor. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've, I've got this fantasy of um, Hordor, um, Hodor, like, Hodor, 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 yeah. um, moderating a debate with. Um, don't don't with don't Morn. incite nerd rage, Ali. <laughs> Hodor. I want to see Morn um, Morn from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine have a conversation with. With Hodor, uh, uh, I think that'd Morn. be. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty funny. Uh, Morn was um, honestly the best character on the entire series. It was so great. So let's let's talk about the future. Um, you know, so we're at this place where season four is done. Um, we're going to get a season five next year. We're waiting on a book. There's a potential for the series to uh, move at a faster pace than the books are. Where, where do you both see the books and the the show going? Hmm. I, again, spoilers. Um, I think that we're, as you said, this is a slow burn and where, and even in the books, like you're seeing these simultaneous, very detailed stories about what is going on in many different places all at once. So you're seeing all these characters and things are happening in real time. Um, and it, to me, it is a huge, um, I think George R. R. Martin is, it, I mean, he's making it very clear that everybody's focusing on these petty battles and these petty things when really they should all be worried about zombies. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're talking White Walkers. Yes. The, yeah. yeah. They are but, zombies. But they're total zombies. Yeah. They are absolutely zombies. They are frozen from, you know, whatever kind of magical thing is, is animating them, but they are definitely zombies. And they're snow zombies. Snow zombies. Um, <laughs> And I think that you're going to see, like, the the big finale is probably going to have to be Dragons v. Zombies. John? Wow. Interesting. I like where your head is with this. Um, um, you know, I'm... It's kind of it's hard to talk about the future when you've read the books. Because right. the future for the series, you know, versus the, the you know, the knowing kind of what's going to happen in the books. I mean... Winds of Winds of Winter is. Um, does anyone know when that's coming out? I no, nobody knows when no, it's coming no out. No one knows. I know. I know. Um, I think. I, I think. Um, yeah, I think we're definitely going to see more of Daenerys. Of course. Um, I'm thinking, um, and I can say this because this is a, this is a theory. Um, I haven't read this in the books. I've seen nothing to kind of suggest this. But I think um, the idea of um, of of Tyrion and Daenerys teaming up um, is, is something that's likely going to happen. Mm, I, I feel. I feel like Daenerys, Jon Snow. Hmm. In this, in the move, in the show. Do you guys want to hear my theory? I have no idea if this is any basis in the books or. Or, or may, not. wait, or maybe it's like Western zombies versus uh, snow zombies. I don't know. Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool! It's like a, wa- a crossover with Walking Dead or something. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> no, but I think I see I, Rick I, appear on the I show. I mean, I think what eventually happens has to happen is that these characters that have been so divided and have different. Ideas about where they need to go and what power they need to get are going to have to unite at some point, or unite or be lost. Unite and against that. Unite against the actual threat, which are yeah. the snow zombies, right? Because because yeah. think White about walkers. think mm-hmm. about the wall. I mean, the wall 
who created it, how was it created. It seems to be huge and a lot more to it than what even the Black Watch think it is. Um, and I, I don't think it was to defend against the Wildings. Let yeah. me just put it that way. <laughs> that would be really cool because that, again, would be pretty realistic to the science of psychology, this idea that... Um, when there's a common enemy, when there's a superordinate goal, people join together to right. fight against that. That would be really cool to see. However, what I want is I want more dragons. I think Bran, using his whatever animal control power, what is that called? Mm, yeah. I don't know, whatever that skin, is. Skin, skin changing, if yeah. you will. Yeah. yeah, I think he's going to control dragons, um, mm. take them away from Daenerys, and um, ultimately that will be what helps defeat the whatever the villain is, if it's the White Walkers or whatnot. I Again, my theory as a guy who hasn't read the books. Interesting. Um, but we know if the the producers of the show, they know the broad um, strokes of the ending. They know how George R. R. Martin wants to end it. So there's a possibility, worst case scenario, the show might be the finale that the fans want. It may be, and I think it's going to be tough um, if he's if he's forced to finish the show before the books, or if he never finishes the books and just finishes the show. I would be sad. I hope he gets to finish both in the way that he wants to as a creator. I, you know, I think George R. R. is is a good guy, and I want him to do what he wants to do. So, well, you know, let's let's see what happens. But you know, I think. I think we need to give George R.R. a little bit of space. That's all I'm saying. So don't don't love him to death, fans. Don't love him to death. <laughs> I don't know, you guys. I think we need to venture into the infinite crossover chamber. Dun dun da da dun da dun dun da dun dun. Yeah, you practice that a lot. I practice that, <laughs> yeah. All right, so what are we doing today? What are we talking about today, Conrad? Today, we are pitting Game of Thrones against Lord of the Rings. So we're talking about um, these two series. We're talking about what's the better adaptation, of course. We're talking about the books as well as the films. Um, but there's a lot of similarities here, and we gotta got to give it up to Tolkien for basically creating the blueprints for what has become um, how the fantasy world exists. Right. I mean, if you look at... Um different fantasy authors um they all ref they all reference token how can you not i mean he is he is this is the bible of of epic fantasy in my book Absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and john you were yeah. saying that tolkien was your your gateway that was right? absolutely my gateway and yeah and thinking about this crossover um it was i found myself kind of a, and still find myself a little bit of a loss of how to compare them they're just and although there's heavy, heavy borrowings and influence um, from Tolkien to, to George R.R. Martin, it's, um, in many ways, they're incomparable. I mean, so Tolkien's series, you know, just, there's something kind of inherently kind of British about them, too. It's, there's like a polite <laughs> sensibility. It's kind of, um, there's a clear kind of delineation between good and evil again, and like Sauron, and, and you know, this, this that whole idea. And then Game of Thrones is more kind of this darker kind of, people behaving badly it's like it's kind of a guilty pleasure you know it's it's much more of a kind of a beach read and kind of and i don't say that disparaging but more of this idea that it's, it's much more contemporary it's much mm. well and i think token definitely has the the very delineated good versus evil good characters versus bad characters there aren't a ton a ton of shades of gray within his characters whereas i think they're all gray or black in R. R. George R. R. Mm-hmm. Martin's characters um nobody gets off 
pure as the driven snow in in the um, in the Song of Ice and Fire series. Well, th- um, this is just something I'm thinking right now, listening to to both of your comments. But Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings epic was in some ways inspired by World War Two, right? Um, at a time in which there was clearly evil in the world, black, right. black and white. Well, I wouldn't say white, but there was clearly evil. Yeah. But I mean, is is George R. R. Martin's story? Um, I, I know it was written before, but it's much more of a modern tale where you there's a lot of grays you don't necessarily know who is good and evil in the modern world and well it's but it's also i mean he he loosely based it on war of the roses where again there wasn't like definitive good or evil it was just a power struggle it was a power struggle so and and lots of people did evil things almost everybody did evil things and so nobody i mean in the series i think um maybe maybe bran is the only one that really has some level of innocence, in my opinion. And that's why he's going to win the Game of Thrones. But um, but, but nice people don't win in this in this series. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're right. Anytime you are feeling excited or happy, boom, George yeah. R. Martin takes it away from you. Boom goes the dynamite. No, <laughs> yeah. um, but Token, you're correct. Like it's it's definitely a World War II good versus evil. Um, he and C.S. Lewis were were besties. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote. Um, a story or a couple like they were serials called the screw tape level letters um which involved um a an uncle devil giving his nephew devil advice because they were talking about the good and evil in the world and and basically the the nephew devil was basically like there's no humanity left people are evil and, and mm. there's no good left in the world and and that kind of thing um so these were definitely in their times very real Issues um, and and token to me reminds me very. It's very much a hero's journey. So there Absolutely. has to be there Frodo's, has to be Frodo's journey is the hero's journey. There has to be the good path and the bad path, and you see. I must do it alone, Sam. Right, right, that kind of thing. Um, but it Fat is. Hobbits. I knew you were gonna. <laughs> you love doing that. I love I love it so much. It's it's pretty cool that you love it though. Um, but I think. Just in terms of, and we're t- specifically talking about adaptations. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that gets into, so we got film versus TV adaptation. Yeah. And so, you know, the, 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 sto- the ideas about film is it really is the director's vision. And it's a collaborative effort. But if there's anyone who's exerting a lot of control on film, it's, it's a director. Whereas with TV, you really get to see the writing and the characters. And the, the, de- the development. The de- and you have a yeah. little bit more room to... To grow, so to speak. However, like as we keep mentioning, this is R-rated character development. Right. When, if we're talking about adaptations, um, Tolkien's story is much more of a mainstream mass market story. True. These did fantastic um, on on the uh, on at, at films. There were blockbusters. Um, they're cherished by families. You can watch it with your family. I would not watch Game of Thrones if I had a young child. I could no. That is not going to happen. Um, my older sister says that she's still not grown up to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not grown up enough to watch Game of Thrones. Um, but I also think that the other thing you have to remember when talking about the adaptations is that um, the this is like 
is it almost a decade now that we're talking about the Lord of the Rings series? Absolutely. So we're in talking terms, 2001, two and three, right? So in terms of special oh. effects at that time, this was all very cutting edge, and what they were doing with it is cutting edge. But I think if you watch it now, some of the CG, you're like, ooh, that's a little dated. And you know, mm-hmm. I don't think Game of Thrones would have even be possible to be adapted before the time that they did because look at look at the right. effects look at the budget that they have to do this show so the battle at the wall this season the battle at the yeah. wall alone is uh, you know, know when that giant anchor went down I'm like oh my god what's going on <laughs> to me the ability uh, the fact that they're able to do this is because they have the technology now and the effects to and the budget obviously to do it so I think that they just have a little bit more room to play with the storyline um, I do think Peter Jackson did an incredible job of adapting um, with with what he had um, and he did he made a lot of very smart decisions which is like we're just going to film all of this at once um, everybody's well, on he board could do that. he could do that because the canon was completed right whereas with, right. Whereas, with Game of Thrones it's right. not right they don't know the arc of the story um, so yeah. yeah what can they do However, what they do have is they do have George R.R. R. Martin on board. He writes an episode a season. He's a consultant. He's available in much the same way um, uh, Rowling was available for the Harry Potter books, right. even though that canon wasn't complete. Right. And so that brings up the question, what exactly is canon? If the actual creators involved, is, aren't they both kind of canon? Oh, my gosh, Conrad. I don't know yeah. what to say to that. I'm kind of speechless, too. I mean, how... I mean, does... Does anyone know George's process? Does he actually have notes for kind of the arc that he wants to... Or is it more kind of like, I have this theory about Lost, that that J.J. Abrams had no idea where he was going I don't think he did either. There's no idea. (laughs) I think he thought it was going to be canceled after the first season, and so didn't really make any plans beyond that. Absolutely. So, I I don't know, maybe this is just... um, I wonder if this is naive, but kind of, I want to believe that, like, George, like, underneath his sailor's cap, he has, like, a folded piece of paper where he has kind of at least sketched kind of his vision for where this is headed. Oh, I think he does. Yeah, but I think it's hidden in his beard. Not his beard. Okay. Yeah. It's, a, or, it's, a, it's a thinly cropped beard, though. Is it? Is it really? Or, I is, it a, or is it a magical beard? We don't know. We don't <laughs> like know. like Hermione's bag. It just right. kind of oh, yeah. keeps going. But yeah, I think you're correct. It's a very different sensibility when you know exactly what the story is. You can map out all of that, and then you can make those decisions about what you need to cut, what you need to narrow, what characters you're going to focus on and I think Peter Jackson did an incredible job of doing that Um, and he even had to do I mean there are really no main female characters in in the Lord of the Rings series. There's also no one in the Lord of the Rings series that looks like me. Right. Except <laughs> unless you're an Urukai, like right. a barbaric person, like who eats their own and all of that. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but you know, it's so he had to he had to definitely take some, you know, artistic license with certain things so that it would be more interesting Same for people to watch. Is true of the Hobbit. Uh, but the Hobbit I can't even talk about. We just can't talk about the Hobbit. Is, does the ho- does the Hobbit factor into adaptation here? Because we got Peter Jackson and his crew also making this. Because if it does, I got a very clear answer to this crossover. Yeah, me too. But I, I thought we, we were factoring? leaving. I thought we were leaving Hobbit out. Hobbit okay. sees out of here because <laughs> I can't. I no can't. Hobbit sees. I just Get can't. Get your fat feet out of here, Hobbits. <laughs> um, if it's if it's just between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, I'm gonna have to. At this moment in time, I I feel like Game of Thrones is winning. Oh man, John. 
I think I'm more on the side of Lord of the Rings in terms of adaptation because it just just because of the idea of where is the canon. There is there is mm-hmm. kind of it's it's kind of. I don't know. It's interesting. And I, but, John, I, it's modern times. Come on. The I canon know. can be moving. It's okay I, for moving canon. You know what? I, and, and this, <laughs> this comes back to, and this is this might sound like a small, um, this is a small bone to pick, but I think it's kind of, um, it's representative of a bigger problem. I mean, this, um, when, we, when we're talking about the, the rape scene, the rape myth with Jamie and, and Cersei, um, one, of the, one of the biggest disappointments I had, and not just in them representing rape as, as something that, uh, as, as, this whole idea of, of, of it being a myth, but but Jamie's character development, um, there was no need for that scene. Um, mm. So Jamie in the yeah. books, for example, Jamie when he comes back um, with one hand, he's totally rejected com- by her, right? Yeah, and and, he, and he's re- and he's rejecting, yeah, he's rejecting of her, um, and he mm-hmm. is, and and Cersei and Jamie are really kind of pulled apart, and he gets him to be a much more interesting kind of redeeming character. In the books, and it seems like kind of a throwaway. And uh, yeah, one of my problems with that scene, the way it was done in the show, is this guy's a knight, and he—that is what he really cares about. And he just he throws away that book of knights and stuff. Um, I I don't believe it of his character on the show. I didn't really believe it, and I it seemed totally well. I mean, he's he is a bit of a jerk in the books, and he definitely pulls away from that to some extent, um, but. It, to me, it would, it would have been much more interesting to see to see the storyline as it happened in the books. So I, I'm that aside. I just think that the show adaptation. They there are other decisions they've had to make that I think they have to make them. I like the Brienne of Tarth character. What they've done with that. Yeah. Um, I think that that battle scene that she had uh, in this season finale with the hound, yeah. with the hound was amazing. Definitely didn't happen in the books. But, but it was incredible. By and, the way, I'm just putting this out there, but I only know like five names of the characters in this show. Like most of the other names I hear, it's like wonk, 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 wonk. It's, I can't keep it all straight. I know them when I see them, but I get, okay. Brienne is the large. Probably stop it, talking right now. Brienne is the large night woman. Oh, she's awesome. And she's going to be in Star Wars now. Yes, yes. Oh, so, really? She's yeah. going to be in Star Wars episode seven. Yeah, so she's pretty I hope cool. she's a Jedi. Dude. She might be a Jedi Knight, so it'll be full circle for you. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars fantasy, then back. And I just got very excited. <laughs> so, Conrad, um, you're, voting, you're voting Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, Game of Thrones. I'm voting Game of Thrones simply because I'm very excited to see how they finish it off. I'm still excited to see the next series. I've had some problems with the adaptation, but I think with a long-running series and a TV show, you're always going to have some problems with it. You're not going to be able to, to totally embrace it and love every decision that they've made. But I'm I'm generally okay with what they've done with it. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, I think he did an amazing job. I still love it. I still consider, to me, those are very holiday movies. I will watch it anytime it's on, any time of the day. I love it. I'll watch it with commercials. I'll, I'll watch it. It's John, great. But yeah. I think that Game of Thrones has more potential with where they're going with it. Yeah. John, where are you voting? I, I see all of Conrad's points. And again, I, I think it's kind of... I think it's an unfair comparison in a way too, because um the book so Game of Thrones is not a linear story the way it's written. I mean, so each chapter is from a different character's perspective, um, and so um, and many it's, it seems like a weird thing to say that Peter Jackson had an easier has an easier, mm. easier job, um, but he did. I mean, so in terms of in some ways, I mean, just, you know, when <laughs> he first of all you can you take the books and you just shake out all the songs and, uh, and <laughs> then you know that's a start, uh, and then it, it is a linear story. Um, so I don't know. I think I, I think 
this is a tough one, but I, I think I think my vote is Lord of the Rings. Um, for, it's an easier adaptation, is, it, and I think it was ultimately more successful. Um, I'm going to be the tiebreaker here, and um, I'm going to say that there would be no Game of Thrones adaptation without a Lord of the Rings adaptation. Prior to the Peter Jackson films, no one knew what Lord of the Rings was. The fantasy genre, I don't think, was as big and didn't have a resurgence as it does now. I think now it's so cool to talk about Lord of the Rings. It's so cool to talk about these universes. And um, Game of Thrones was definitely a... The Game of Thrones adaptation is definitely a descendant of the Lord of the Rings adaptations. I'm voting Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. All right. I will just have to beat you both down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dear nerdling listeners, please let us know who you think wins this epic crossover duel. Is it Lord of the Rings or is it A Game of Thrones? And with that, we're going to exit the infinite crossover chamber. Na 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 what was that? Oh, that was Lord of the Rings. I yeah, it was. That was a Shire. <laughs> that was a Shire bringing it back. Pitiful. Yes. Yes. Gandalf, do you have any fireworks? <laughs> fireworks, Gandalf, fireworks. Mm, smoke pipe, so smoke pipe. Wait, wait. It, it, can I just ask, is this tiebreaker because you can do more impressions of Lord of the Rings characters than you can of Game of Thrones? Because I suspect that may be true. No? The Lannisters send their regards. <laughs> I could do a little Game of Thrones. A little bit. A yeah, little bit. Not too much. So <laughs> we're talking our top five fantasy epics. This includes films, TVs, and books. Would it, if it's got a little fantasy, then it might be on this list. Um, we got a pretty cool top five collection because Conrad this is a genre you really love um, forever uh, John this is a genre you recently got into and for me it's a genre I'm kind of I tiptoe around you know I kind of put my, my toes in sometimes and I, I kind of sometimes I, I don't so um, where do we even start this um, well, so part of this was a super, super hard list for me to narrow down um, as a person in terms of a genre. Um, I have my roots in this. You know, I, I started to read Edith Hamilton's um, mythology when I was a wee one at my at my mother's foot. No, no, I don't, no, I don't even know what that means. Anyway, no, but it's true. I was reading all this kind of stuff. Um, and so I definitely have my roots in this particular genre and fantasy epics general, generally. And I kind of, I don't know, I, I would include mythology in some of this too. Um, so I compiled my list with things that, that definitely just always made me really excited to find the next, the, the next story that was going to happen or I wanted to find out what was going to happen next. Um, I have kind of a mix of things. I have books... Um, I think I have a film, and then I also have a graphic novel or a graphic novel series. So, um, and I've given away, I think, a couple of these. Um, but one thing I will say is that I left out Harry Potter out of this because we did a whole episode on it. Obviously, mm. this would be on my top five, but uh, other than that, but I feel like we we kind of people know that that's definitely on the list. But I, I'd like to talk about other things here. Yeah, same here. Uh, Harry Potter was excluded from my list, and if mm-hmm. you'd like to hear more about that, uh, definitely check out our Harry Potter episode. I basically picked stuff that was fantasy and that I loved. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. That was about it. And that's a bit of a shorter list for me because it's historically been a genre I've struggled to get into a little bit more. John, how'd you come up with your list? You know, again, as a, as a, as a, 
unbelievable newcomer to the fantasy genre. Um, I, I, my list is exclusively populated by by movies, the movies that um, that I loved as as a child, and, and again, you know. Um, I think I think reading the Game of Thrones series and then actually and then Game of Thrones actually I don't think I mentioned this Game of Thrones made me um, want to go back and read the Lord of the Rings the entire um, the entire canon of Lord of the Rings and then I think um, I think I'm gonna have to um, I think I'm gonna have to keep on going now and uh, and aspire to be someone like uh, like like Conrad and and you Ali to uh, actually go back and really uh, really take this genre and, and, and run with it but but for the present, um, my list is populated by, by movies that really kind of um, had an impression on me as a kid. Cool. Well, let's get started then. Um, I'm going to give my number five. Uh, my number five is a movie that was a big part of my childhood. Um, it's a movie I love. It's a movie that's got a great theme song. This is 1984's The NeverEnding Story. Bastion! Uh, Bastion! <laughs> the NeverEnding Story! Um, oh, <laughs> I, I lyric right, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, as a kid, I used to think it was the NeverEnding Story ending story all around all around all around i don't know why i thought that um it, so i i like this idea that um this kid starts reading this book and sort of gets gets pulled into the world but it was more the world and mm-hmm. all the creatures and how everything interacted that um just really filled my imagination and i remember when i was a kid kind of riding my bike and imagining i'm on that giant white wolf dragon thing whatever it is um the giant dots dragon thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Um, so it's it, I don't know if it's a movie that holds up at all. I haven't seen it in like a decade. Oh, it's still um, fun. It's still fun. It's still fun. Yeah, yeah I love it. It's a great um, movie. It's a, it's a good film. And um, Barrett Oliver, who plays the who plays Bastion, mm-hmm. he like did all these, he was like in the genre, like he was in that zeitgeist of that time so he did that. Um, he did Daryl he was just like all over. He did Secret Garden. He oh, was right. all over the place, and then suddenly he disappeared. And I think he became like a carpenter on film sets and stuff because he just couldn't do it anymore. So he did the opposite of what Harrison Ford did. Wasn't he, wasn't he in Poltergeist too? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, mm, I'll check in on that. <laughs> that, that was, please fact check that. Yeah. I don't believe he was in okay. Poltergeist. <laughs> um, but you know, it was that was a really great story because it was it was about somebody escaping into a fantasy world and the fantasy world being real and that they had an active part in saving and becoming saving the world and becoming a hero um which was very cool um as a kid i loved that film so good pick john you might have been thinking of cocoon he oh, was in co- okay. the two cocoon films mm-hmm. thank, you, yeah. thank you so with that uh john what's your number five uh, my number five and this is um and you be honest with you i actually i'm a little bit unpre- unprepared i i had such a hard time um ranking these um so I'm, I've actually been doing this on the fly, but I think I had to come in my first. Oh, you mean the Conrad method? Um, yeah, 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 that's definitely. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you've been talking, I've been completely which, which, which is how I sometimes end up with two or three top threes, and, and it is it sneaks by Ali, yeah, and he's yeah. just like, "Wait, did you actually <laughs> give a top seven? And I'm like, "Uh." Ali gets very confused yeah. when yes. he starts writing oh, the yes. show notes. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm proud to follow in your uh, in your footsteps. Then my number five is going to be a little controversial. I'm going to say Groundhog's Day. Hmm. With Bill Murray. Whoa! Defend I, yourself. I'm, I'm going to defend myself. I, it's not a classic uh, fantasy pick, of course, but this idea of um, of reliving the same day over and over again. Um, hmm. It's just it is one of these movies that that just 
I don't understand it. For a movie that is inherently so repetitive, every time I see it, I like it more and more. Um, I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. I love Bill Murray, too, so most of what he's in is my favorite. But that particular movie, is it's definitely um, in one of my, my top films that you would bring to a deserted island. Yeah. I think we can we can put it closer to the fantasy genre than other genres, because that aspect of reliving the day is never explained. There's no time travel. There's nothing like that. I mean, it's not like a science fiction explanation. Mm-hmm. It just sort of happens. Exactly. I think it's the woman at the bed and breakfast. She's an evil fairy and she just is mad at him so she makes Boom. him relive the day over and over again. Boom, there you go, uh, fantasy, just evil saying. fairy, it's done. Just mm-hmm. saying, if we want to go there. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you. you guys are very tolerant of me. That's I feel very supportive in my number five choice. We break the rules all the time. We do. We make them and all then we break the them, and then everyone yells at us. Um, Conrad, what's your number five? Um, my number five is the books, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Um, as an adult, I have more issues with them than I did reading them as a kid. Um, although I did catch some of the, you know. The, the similarities and the parallels. Um, C.S. Lewis was was very much a Christian, um, and so is definitely an allegory for a lot of things. As a kid, I just thought that they were very exciting talking animals. Um, and um, as I got older, like age nine, I was like, wait a minute, is Aslan Jesus Christ? Um, so, but at the time when I was a kid, it was really, it is the first series that I remember reading and just really escaping into and also hiding in the back of um, the the linen closet, hoping that the door would open into a fantasy world <laughs> where there were talking animals and things like that. Um, so that's my, my number five. Um, and I have to say, I think that that is a series that got me in addition to the Edith Han- Hamilton mythology stuff, it's it's what got me into the fantasy genre. So it has to be on my on my top five. Good pick. Um, let's go on to number fours. Uh, my number four is Princess Mononoke. Ooh, um, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, this is a special film for me because it was one of the first anime films I really saw or, or Japanese animation films that I really saw and it has some of those fantasy elements of um, creatures and um, the woods sort of being alive and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Lord of the Rings there and just you know I talk about music all the time on the show and I just love the score to that film it's it's just very lush and, and beautiful um, so it, it it was a fantasy based story that I didn't really see as a fantasy based story and I really enjoyed it Cool. Yeah. John, what do you got for us? Oh, I'm, I got another... <laughs> another wibbly another, another iconoclastic uh, pick here. Yeah, I think I'm feeling kind of contrarian today. Um, <laughs> I think number four uh, is going to be um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, hmm. I, I, I see it. I see it. Do you know? I would love to hear what you see in that. Well, let's, it's, let's mind meld right it's, now. All right, you yeah. want to mind meld? Yeah. Look at this guy. Um, it's not a. F- it's again, it's not science fiction. Um, the, there are supernatural powers at work that are not explained. There are ideas of good and evil, which is a classic uh, trope of of fantasy. So I, I definitely see it. I wouldn't have identified it as fantasy off the top of my head, but I see it. I guess I could see it. You guys are being very generous again. I appreciate no, that. No, why? Yeah. Why is well, that your pick? You know, I, as a kid, again, I, I think I'm um, coming back to the whole lightsaber thing. Um, this is just, I 
you know, um, when you can't get a lightsaber, you, you know, it's like, okay, well, then maybe I'll be an archaeologist because that's, clearly that's what you do. If you're Harrison Ford, <laughs> you get a whip and you get a hat and you get to kind of like, you, you get to travel the world and you get to beat up bad guys. And it was just, you know, I just remember it just had such an indelible effect on my childhood and really um, just loving that trilogy. Um, I don't even count the fourth one, by the way. The fourth nope, one did nobody not does. exist. It just, it There's did, a fourth it, in the end, it, it, it didn't even happen as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, I, you know, I think a lot in my picks, um, the way I'm going to defend all the picks is, is mostly childhood nostalgia. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, and how can you argue with that? But these are just kind of beloved characters and uh, that really came alive for me. And, and it has really held up, too. So going, these, these, the, the Indiana Jones trilogies, and particularly the last one, um, for me, just really, like, if you go back, I, I think it really stands the test of time. This Nazi well, zombies melting scene still freaks me out. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, but, you know what? It, I would say in the third film of the series, when they find the city of Petra, or but mm-hmm. it's they don't call it that, but th- that is where they are. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And it's like, who wouldn't want to? It makes you want to go and explore. It's like finding Atlantis or something like that. So I can see that in the in the fantasy genre. It's kind of that sense of wonder and mystery. What do you have for us, Conrad? Uh, for number four, I have The Odyssey by Homer. Um, this is um, mm. a story. You went back to the to the. You have to, the to basics. go. You have to go back to the <laughs> basics because without this kind of thing, you don't have. Without this story, you don't have other epic fantasies. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought about wow. including Gilgamesh, thing. Beowulf, oh, like that jealous. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also, you know, there's there's many different translations. I think if you're going to enter into this particular world, probably the Fitzgerald translation is the most accessible and the most lyrical. Although if you're if you're really hardcore, I think Lattimore. Mm. is the way to go. Not Robert Fagels? Fagels is just too interpretive. Mm. Um, mm. You could say Fitzgerald is, but Fagels, I think, goes way off the, the reservation. Um, so, yeah. So that's my ranking. Odyssey, Fitzgerald, followed by Lattimore, followed by Fagels. Or you could read it in its original Latin, as I did in high school. You can, but it's hard Badly. to get that. Yeah, it's hard to get. <laughs> it's hard to get that the sense of what, the, the whole epic is with if you don't have that knowledge base. Yeah, so, and I, I did not. Uh, <laughs> it would make me really laugh if you had them, Ali. Um, um, but yeah, I, I have to put it there. It's in my roots. Um, it's a it's a story that I keep going back to. I often go back to. It's on my bookshelf in many iterations. So had to include it. Good pick. Good pick. I am also very jealous of that pick. That's that's a great <laughs> one. Um, moving on to number three. My number three pick is a little bit more recent, um, and I'm going with Disney's Enchanted from 2007. Um, I really love this film, you guys. I uh, it's, it's a bit of a deconstruction of the Disney princess storyline and the, the Prince Charming storyline, and it's if these characters entered into New York City, what would be one of my favorite moments in that film is when Amy Adams is the title character is uh, singing a song in an apartment and in the Disney films all these animals and birds come <laughs> and it's New York City so all these rats and mice and cockroaches 
cub and it's hilarious um but it's it's definitely in the fantasy genre and it's i think when disney started to come back and started to make fun of itself realize that they had some problems with their characters and the way they were depicting women and and all of that and they've it's led to some um some great stuff coming out of disney in more recent years um so i i love that film it's it's really funny it's got some good music and it's got some great moments Actually, I haven't seen Enchanted. Um, you've told me. I'm definitely going to... It is it, it is very clever, the mm-hmm. way they do it. Yeah, and Cyclops is in it, so you yeah. got to go with it. All right. I, I think um, for my number... Where, where are we at? We're no, number three right now? We're number three. Wow. Number three. <sighs> okay, so um, I'm going to get weird again, but I think very firmly <laughs> in the... This time in the fantasy genre, Defender Refute in a moment, uh, The Dark Crystal. <gasps> The Dark Crystal, and and I'm, I'm excited that Conrad is excited because I'm going to need your help actually defending this choice. I feel like I shouldn't have to because it's just so good. There, However, is, there is nothing to defend here. Uh, what no, are you talking about? No, no, no. I mean, speaking, speaking <laughs> intelligently about defending this choice because I haven't seen this movie in over 25 years. All I remember is that it scared the ever-loving be Jesus out of me. Oh, it scared me too, but it was incredible. Um, The the Dark Crystal is um, a labor of love by Jim Henson, Mm -hmm. um, and it was most solidly in the in the uh, fantasy genre. Um, It was all um, basically puppets, um, and the main characters were things called gelflings. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a child, I resembled a gelfling, and that (laughs) was my nickname for many years. So um, it actually was my number three. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a mind meld between. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So we got a mind meld. Um, Also scared me terribly when I was a child. Um, It is a creepy world that they created um one one thing i would really recommend um they came out with a re-release um a few years ago and they had a whole short movie about the making of and really showed jim henson involved um just working with the different puppeteers and pretty incredible just showing up his concept of the world and it 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 is totally impressive and dark and i don't think people were expecting this from henson which is why everybody brought their children to this this is not a mm, really a yeah. kids film it's super no. disturbing they have these evil things called skexies um sucking the life force out of the gelflings and making them slaves sounds like dementors um, a little bit yeah a little yeah. bit like dementors it's, it's, it's super dark and terrifying this is um not Fraggle rock this is it is yeah. not um <laughs> watching it now it's a little harder to watch definitely it's a little slow paced um, but, you know, it's it's really this, it is a beautifully created universe. Um, so good choice. Thank you. And, and I'm not just saying that because it was my third choice, too. Um, in terms of Henson, too, it's interesting. I, I don't want to spoil anyone's later picks, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here. Um, in terms of Henson's canon, um, Labyrinth often make, makes people's lists, but I think Dark Crystal in the end is I a think, better choice. I think Dark Crystal is more successful as much yeah. as I love David Bowie. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, it, it, Labyrinth is also like a, a guilty pleasure mm-hmm. of mine, but I think Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. as I think it was something very new at that time, like creating this world that was just these puppets, totally new mythology, created its own mythology, um, but ultimately terrifying to a child watching this. Um, I, it gave me nightmares for a little while, and then, but I was still obsessed with it, so it definitely had to be on my list. Well, let's move on to number two. Um, I got a number two pick that I think might be a pick someone else also has. Uh, my number two is The Wizard of Oz. 
Nope. Anyone? No. 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 Interesting. Um, I originally had it as my number one, but I switched it around mid to top five. Uh-huh. Um, I was going to, you guys' uh, Im- improvness rubbed off on me. Um, uh, the reason I picked Wizard of Oz, it does have some of those classic fantasy elements. There are creatures that come to life. There are, you know, you have the Scarecrow, you've got the Tin Man, you've got the, the, the Lion, all that kind of stuff. That is pretty hallmark fantasy genre. But it also explores some interesting ideas. Ideas. It, it's a, a major work of cinema history. Um, it, when it came out, it was just breathtaking in its um, its use of color. Um, it influenced the imagination of generations of filmmakers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it's a film that really holds up very, very well. There's been a remastering that was done a few years ago, and if you check it out, it's just still beautiful. It's just a beautiful film. Yeah. Um, so I really love it, and the music, of course, is uh, really continues to live on. So the books the are super, super creepy, and you should read them. I should read them. That's another thing to add How to my queue. There's quite a few of them, but Return to Oz, in terms of oh. movies, I think is even creepier than The Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, <laughs> and through Zabalk, super creepy. And begins with electroshock therapy. Yes, very, very memorable. Yes, yeah, very memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my number two. <laughs> John, what do you got for us? Speaking of winding down our list to two and one, I just realized I might have broken some rules. Uh, are we are we leaving Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings out of the running? Yes. We are. Oh, oh we should have probably mentioned that. Yeah, Oops. sorry about that. Oops. Well, I think you can guess which way I'm going to break for two and one. Um, okay. Um, but maybe I should, um, should I abstain? No. no, you can't. If we know what they are, just, it's yeah. obvious that they are, but yeah. it's okay. All right, well, then I'm thinking I'm going to move, well, mm, interesting. Forgetting for a second that there would be some inevitable reordering now that I know that one and two have to have to have to be subbed out. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to firmly put uh, where the wild things are um, in my top five running now. Um, oh, Ollie, did you do that? Yes, you did. Where the wild things are is my number one pick. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, then yeah. I- no, I, no, you go no, for no, it. No, 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 I no, want, no, I want no. you to go for it. No, no, no. no. you no, were going for this. No, no, no. You're going to do this, John. I, you, you love Maurice and Dak. I want you. I want to. I want to. Are you talking about the film? or Are you talking about I, the book? I'm talking about the book. I'm talking about the book too. Then take it away. Man, what a mind melt. Take it away. Um, this book is um, just such a major part of my childhood. You're talking about nostalgia and and um, and all of that. It's um, this was a book that just the uh, the visual style of the illustrations and the story about how this kid just starts imagining this um, this royal rumpus. Um, I, I love that. I love it, man. And I wanted to be a kid and have that outfit and go around and do all that fun stuff. <laughs> you didn't. I didn't have that outfit. Um, one of my, my one of my nephews does, um, and he, it's very cute. Um, um, but the film too. I, I really do love the film. Um, and yeah, I mean, why do you like this this story so much? For for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, this is just. I I feel like I I identified so much with Max, and Max was you know in a way kind of the antihero, right? He was this um, poorly behaved kid, and as was I. And in the end, he becomes this redeeming kind of lasting character. Um, he's the classic antihero. Um, so connecting with your wild side and then being loved for it. Yeah, um, and then he gets to come back, uh, and he's unconditionally loved by his family. Nice, um, good pick. Um, well, my number two was the King Killer Chronicle mm. by Patrick Rothfuss. Um, he's still working on the last 
<laughs> segment of of this this his uh, he's he's having a bit of a George R. R. Martin issue. Um, this is a book I continually recommend to people, um, and I find myself recommending it to people who like Game of Thrones um, and and the fantasy genre. Um, it's it's one of those books where I started to read, and you know sometimes there's a few different problems with it, but it's really well done. Um, I I can't wait to see how he finishes it up. He actually had like a series <clears throat> of like. A little bit of a side story with one of the one of the characters in this, and, and fans were getting very upset because they were like, um, and I'll admit, I was a little upset too. Um, like, why are you focusing on this? Please, just finish it, finish it. And he hasn't yet done that, um, so I'll just have to wait very patiently um, for him to finish up. Um, so that that was my number two, and then number one was the Sandman. Um, oh. The graphic novel series by Neil Gaiman. Uh, the original iterate, one of your favorites. One of my favorites, but in terms of fantasy and um, the, the the kind of ideas that come from this, I think um, he did a great job of incorporating um, fantasy mythology. Um, the artwork is definitely dated, um, and now there are new things coming out, which I have mixed feelings about because I liked probably the fact, do a show on that. I liked the fact that there was just, it was a closed series. He said, I'm not going to have this as a graphic novel series go on forever. He and, you know, and and I liked the fact that it did end, um, but now he has gone back on that. So we'll see what happens. Um, The ever-changing canon. Yes, the ever-changing canon. Um, So, but it's still great. It's one of those things, again, it's on my bookshelf. Um, I've had to buy multiple copies of this because people take them. So I think that's the sign of, of a good of a good series. Nice. So that's that. My um, honorable mention Wait, list. So John, John, are we supersizing where the wild things are to your one and two? Well, you know, I, I, my number one, I think um, I think you'd be surprised based on which way I broke um, on terms of the better adaptation. But mm-hmm. my number one is, is, is Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, that was before I knew that that was off limits. Um, that was my number one with the bullet. Nice. Um, so okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you a super fantastic nerd hour exception. Exception. I do have an honorable mention though, but it sounds like you were going to go with one. Well, no, I have many honorable mentions, so of I'm going to put do, I'm going to put most of these in <laughs> show notes because they are just mm-hmm. too many. But um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think, belongs there. I haven't. I didn't put it on our list because mm-hmm. we talked about it a lot, um, mm-hmm. or I have anyway. Uh, Dead Like Me and Pushing Daisies, two other mm-hmm. series, which mainly involve death, um, but some have some fantasy element to them. Um, and then in terms of books, uh, the Earthsea series by Ursula Le Guin, The Chronicles of Prydain by Lloyd Alexander, and then the Dark is Rising series by Susan Cooper. Um, so all so some of those are more like children slash young adult, but they're all books that I loved reading as a kid. So, John, what do you got? Excellent. I was, I was thinking, um, do either of you remember The Last Unicorn? Oh yeah. yeah I yeah. almost you know what? I almost yeah. put it on here, but I tried to watch it recently and it's so hard to watch now that I just couldn't do it. That's another one I haven't seen in about twenty five years, if not if not more. But um, but as a kid, remember? That yeah. was like dark. Super dark. The Super red dark. red bull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um yeah. I was surprised Lady Hawk didn't appear on your list. Oh, uh, that's on my honorable mention list. Yep. Okay. Yep. So good. An old an early role for Matthew Broderick. Yep. On that one. Um, I've got just a few picks. I'm going to shoot them out. The Princess Bride needs to be on this mm-hmm. list. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The Giving Tree. 
Oh. Um, and Xena, Warrior Princess. Oh, Xena. <laughs> in a terrible but good series. Exactly, exactly. The Giving Tree. Yeah. Wow, you're going to give me a hard time for Groundhog Day. Oh, that's, the Giving that's, Tree that's, is that's the nice Giving though. Tree is a stretch, dude. Well, that's why it's an honorable mention. That's right. why it's an honorable mention. Um, so, uh, dear nerdlings, please let us know what are your top five fantasy epics. <sighs> I just forgot one, but I guess I it's just... more horror fantasy. I was going to say the Dark Tower series. Oh. That probably... Probably should have been in the top five. Oh, well. Yeah. And I just remembered um, The Secret of Nim. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. Why did that not make it, um, at least on our honorable mention list? Yeah. Um, well, we can put it on now, because we'll you know what? Because we're, we're still recording. We're, we're, rules, we're, we're ruling the show. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> like George R. R. Martin, we could, we could do whatever to our list as we mm-hmm. want. So, uh, dear nerdlings, please let us know um, what are your favorite fantasy epics. Uh, let us know who wins a crossover, Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. Um, and let us know what you thought of this latest season of Game of Thrones. John, did you just come up with another? I forgot. Willow. <gasps> Willow. <laughs> Oh, gosh, we could do this forever. This is a never-ending list. Aww. Yeah. Um, so we, there's so much more we could talk about. We're going to have to wrap this up. Um, John, thank you for joining us on this episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. That was quite a pleasure talking about fantasy with you. Thank you guys for inviting me. I'm honored to be in your nerd company. Oh. This was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I'm not just saying that because John and I had a mind melt. <laughs> <laughs> or that you and John had a, had a mind melt. Yeah, there was a lot of mind melt. Yeah. 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 So, so um, please do check out superfantasticnerdhour.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, we're also on Twitter at Nerd Hour. Conrad, where can people find you on the internet this week? On Twitter, I am Die Prince. And then on the Undead Reanimated Podcast, uh, we are Reanimated. <laughs> ReanimatedPodcast.com or on Twitter, ReanimatedPCast. And I am at Olimatu on Twitter. I'm also the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com. John, where can people find you? So as a wise person once said, um, I can't be found on the internet, and that's the way I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. Um, So with that, uh, live long and prosper. Indeed.